0: I... What's wrong, buddy? Well, I just realized this mushroom supplement I bought isn't actually made with mushrooms. It's made with something called myceliated grain? Myceliated grain? Oh, no! I'm sorry to tell you, buddy, but myceliated grain is a sure sign of a poor quality mushroom supplement. Well, dang. I wanted mushrooms, not brown rice. What should I do? Well, you should support a small batch producer from right here in the Midwest. Kiwino Apothecary. Kiwino Apothecary? Tell me more. Kiwi Apothecary specializes in high-quality mushroom extracts from Michigan, and they always use real mushrooms, never, never, never myceliated grain. That sounds like exactly what I've been looking for. Where can I order? Well, you can find them at Kiwinawapothecary.etsi.com. That's K-E-W-E-E-N-A-W-apothecary.etsy.com. Be sure to read their many excellent reviews. Thanks, buddy. I don't want no low-quality mushroom products from a factory. I want Kiwi
1: Apothecary.
0: Wowie, Wow! wow!
2: Thanks for joining us for another awesome episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. I'm only one of your hosts, but my name is Michael. Um, and I am Steve. We have a, a, a bit of a foraging celebrity here with us, at least in my opinion. <laughs> Out of all of our guests so far, this might be the most illustrious. Um, but this is we, right now we're very happy to be joined by Alan Burgo, uh, for, chef, professional chef and forager of the, or <laughs> author of the Forager Chefs, Book of Flora, which is one of my favorite books to reference. Um, I've referenced it several times in our show. Sure. Uh, made a couple of recipes. They're really, really awesome. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Alan. Hey, thanks, guys.
3: Thanks for having me
2: on. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, you've been making a, a kind of splash a little bit regarding the Minnesota DNR, uh, like new collection rules and stuff. Um, I wanted to, like, wondered if you could give us a little bit of a quick background on, like, what's going on in Minnesota.
3: Yeah, so man, it seems like I wanna say like two months ago or something, we started to get like some my friends and I we started to hear some chatter and like things coming like leaking down through the grapevine about possible new regulations coming down and it was kinda troubling. We're like, Well so why like why is this happening? Why do they feel the need to do this right now? So my One of my close friends is the president of the Mycological Society, so he started reaching out and trying to talk to the DNR, and he just kind of got stonewalled, like they wouldn't give us any information, they wouldn't talk to him, they wouldn't set up any kind of meetings or anything, and that that was troubling because we have been, uh, the Mycological Society, but also people like myself and other chefs, have been involved in the rule-making process when when new regulations happen, so like 10 years ago they had a work group where uh, a number of us, myself included, advised the Minnesota Department of Agriculture and the Minnesota Department of Health on basically the creation of their mushroom laws. So we've always been involved here because we, like, I don't like to call myself an expert, but I am definitely friends with experts. Like I offer some opinions and viewpoints that are that are unique because I have been in the chef world also the world that sells products to chefs and I also have experience in the wild food world so like those three things it's hard to find people with those three parts of the experience but anyway basically the the regulations they're proposing are they don't seem that crazy at face value but there's kind of a lot that goes along with it Uh, and really what we want is we want a seat at the table when regulations are made But also, we want to live in a state where rules are based on science. So what they're proposing is just a one-gallon bag limit of wild mushrooms in state parks. But that's kind of a canary in the mine about uh, just the DNR's knowledge about mushrooms in general. I mean, first of all, and it's kind of splitting hairs, but there's some mushrooms that don't even –
2: Bag. Yeah, that, that could be less than one, a gallon bag could be less than one mushroom, or it could be all the mushrooms in the forest, depending on what you're collecting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this seems like uh, there's, a yeah, it's an interesting Venn diagram that you present uh, with your history and your background. Um, and it makes absolute sense that uh, people in the field should be consulted uh, when making uh, big decisions about that. Um, so I imagine there's a lot of intersection there, too, with the hunting and fishing world. Is Are are any of them getting involved? Uh,
3: not yet. We've we gotten a lot of people involved, though. So first, we had the Star Tribune picked it up. Um, and then after that, let's see, NPR picked it up. I went on NPR. And then after that, at the same time, we had the Wall Street Journal pick it up. Uh, we've been talking to my friend Sean Sherman and Linda Black Elk, who I know that you know, Michael, oh, yeah. uh, from, the, from the Harvest Fest. So we were delighted to have them on board and kind of see how, how they can add additional voices to this. Uh, but, like, the one thing that's really been bugging me lately is, like, the non-science arbitrary way that laws are getting introduced like this. So I don't know how much you guys know about regulations across the country. And again, I'm not like an expert either, but it's basically a patchwork. And like every, every state basically has like different, different laws. And a lot of times these laws are in conflict and that can make, it's, it's a lot unpack. Uh, that can make sense for certain things, but for a lot of things, it doesn't. Uh, hmm. Like, one example of, that's kind of playing devil's advocate to, to, uh, to what I'm talking about is in Oregon, they they should have a regulation against using rakes in the woods, which I'm totally, I'm totally for, yeah, because right. people are using that. You know, what are they using that for? They're trying to look for attacking. Mm-hmm. Using that, and that's very, that's very disruptive. You know, that's that's not a good thing to be doing, and no one should be doing that. Uh, in Minnesota, first of all, it's illegal for any commercial mushroom harvest to go on in any state land, whether it's state forests, state parks, anything. That's all illegal. There's no commercial stuff allowed at all. So this is, and I bring that up because the DNR in Minnesota have now mentioned like people using rakes in the woods, but I'm like. That's so strange because I'm one of the like extremely few people who even knows where Matsutake will grow mm-hmm. in the Midwest. And there is not a commercial Matsutake harvest here. So you guys are like parroting information that you've heard from other places that's not necessarily applicable to Minnesota. And then those get so much better. This is one of my I think this is my <laughs> favorite example and it's the one that people usually are like, You gotta be kidding me. Uh, in and this is this is I, I can quote this here. Hang you know, on, let me find my quote. Uh, duh, 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 duh. In the NPR article, they they quote the DNR uh, because the DNR they want to regulate more than mushrooms, so there's going to be more regulations coming down the line. This is like this is like the shot across the bow. Sure. So like we, so we need to get involved now to have our voice and our opinions the opinions of experts heard because this is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. In the NPR article, and I'm quoting a guy named Pierce, they said in regards to uh, regulating wild blueberries, they said bears that use the berries, they're instead going to be trying to find garbage cans. Okay? So that, that, that takes a little bit to unpack, but it's so messed up they're like, I don't even know where to start. So the first of all, animals are used to disruptions in their food supply because there's droughts. Like in 2019, I didn't pick a single blueberry, and I bet the bears weren't picking any blueberries either. Uh, well, yesterday, a couple days ago, I was picking wild blueberries up in Noshawak, northern Minnesota, by Hibbing, and I saw a bunch of bear scat. And guess what was a bear scat? They weren't even eating blueberries. They were eating chokecherries. I know bears eat tons of blueberries, but they eat all kinds of fruit. And when animals have a disruption in their food supply, they're just going to switch. And secondly, bears are not going to make a choice between garbage and blueberries. <laughs> bears, bears are like massive mouths that all they live to do is eat. They will, they're going to have a garbage Sunday with blueberries on top. <laughs> they're to eat, they're going to eat both. This is not like oh, the bear has to choose. But this, this is silly. And finally, like humans, any human thinks that they can outcompete a bear for food. I mean, this is so foolish and absolutely illogical. It makes me just want to scream. We would need like a million foragers to go to northern Minnesota and try to pick every single wild blueberry that they could. This is insane. This would this could never happen. Like you know. Then I have another good example that someone passed on to me from a call they had with a a DNR rep from Ohio. So they, uh, the woman said that it was illegal for them to be picking mushrooms. And then when they presented her with the law that said, uh, actually, it's legal for us to pick mushrooms here, this is what she said. This is straight from the DNR reps, like you can't make this stuff up. She said, okay, well, so you can cut them. But you can't pick those mushrooms because they're technically a root ball.
1: Oh my god. Okay, so
3: what? Okay, okay, so what? Now we're making words up. Like, have you guys heard of a root ball mushroom?
2: <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not. I mean, sclerotia maybe, but that's not what I would use to describe that either.
3: Yeah, like is a sclerotia, Truffles are a sclerotia, A chanterelle is definitely not a sclerocia. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's like last time I checked, most mushroom hunters don't—they're
2: not looking for scler- scleroses. I mean, with the with the uh exception of China, you know. So it's it's uh, more it's just, than just that's just that Facebook—that's it. just Facebook group uh comments in real life. People were like, "Oh, you're gonna hurt the mushroom," having absolutely no understanding of how mycelium networks actually work. Yeah,
3: this is like if Facebook comments with legal regulations. <laughs> <laughs> So it's more than just a bag limit, and there's all these other things behind it. Like, we Mm -hmm. could be living in a state that has laws that are not made by science and that are arbitrary, that people are just, like, shoving through because they have – we don't even know why. So they're pushing it to the public comment stage. Mm -hmm. And if this goes to the public comment stage, uh, we have have a group uh, of, like, a lobbyist, a couple lawyers, all the foraging educators and myself – uh, if that goes to the public comment stage, we we won't be able to do anything,
2: and we're going to be dealing with these regulations
3: for like fifteen to twenty years. You know, oh, so it's like, this could be a long
2: time. Yeah, yeah, but I like that you you provide a little bit of nuance there that it's not exclusively anti-regulation. You know, you're not saying that there there aren't reasons to have some regulation. So. Do you think there, like, is there a, do you have a better proposed way to, uh, maybe a better word, uh, a, a mushroom bag limit or regulation like that?
3: Yeah, and so I'm one of the reasons I'm really glad you guys uh, agreed to to talk with me about this is because publicly, if I am representing like this entire group of people as I have been talking publicly, there's things they don't want me to say. Right. And we we differ on a few different things and it'll be interesting to hear your guys' opinions here. Sure. Uh, because I am for regulation and and we all know, all of us in the wild food world know that foraging has been it's been on the rise, mushroom hunting's mm-hmm. been on the rise, more every year. Sure. I see the views on my website grow, I see the comments I have to answer. It's it is it gets to be a lot, and every year it's more intense. Uh, so we need to be recognized as. I mean, I think Tim Clemens and and Forager, uh, my good friend, who's in the group with me too. One thing that he said is he's compared hunting, fishing, and foraging to three legs on a chair. And I really, really like that analogy uh, because. This is something where we could contribute. I don't think that we're going to get the time of day until we can contribute in a way similar to fishing and hunting. So if that's like, i got to pay $20 a year to get a mushroom hunting license where I can pick five pounds of mushrooms a day, I would be totally down for that. My friends want it to be like 40 pounds or something. Like they're sure. hoarding <laughs> all these things from Europe. Yeah, yeah of course. These are all crotchety mushroom hunters. They want, <laughs> to get, they want all their mushrooms. I totally get that. I totally support that, but I feel like, I feel like we need to, well, they don't want any limit at all is what they're trying to go with. They're trying to get this thing shut down so that it just like dies. And I think that regulation is inevitable. And I think that we just have to say like, Hey, okay, do we got to pay like 20 bucks a year? That's really not a big deal because then we will be contributing and we can say like, Hey, like, we buy a license just like anyone, just like hunters, just like fishermen. The other tricky thing is, unlike those, uh, and I'm not trying to badmouth hunting groups uh, at all, but we don't have, we don't have like billionaire backers to, to back and advocate for our interests. Mm-hmm. So like we kind of just have to make this like ragtag group of topics that, you, you know,
2: <laughs> try to help. You know, bring awareness to some of these things it's difficult hey man but uh, we all know little little hobbits can make big changes in the world so I've got good hopes but um, on the aspect of uh, regulations I mean you're absolutely right there's there's no reason why we shouldn't uh, you know be inclined I think Anybody in the in the right foraging mind would be inclined to pay back into the system to help conservation. It's something that I talk a lot about. With I have tons of friends that are foragers and fishers and everything, and we're all on the same team. Yeah. We're all trying to conserve the same areas. We all want the same end end game. Um, so if if regulations and having a mushroom license like that, uh, that I'm I'm totally in for it. Illinois is completely bereft of any regulation in foraging whatsoever except for it's illegal that we're under lockdown (laughs) yeah but there's no mushroom license there's no foraging certification or anything like that here in Illinois so I mean I would honestly welcome it as uh, a a professional regulation um, and but then still have kind of like public limits don't say public people can't do it but uh, you know you should be expected to have a little bit less if you're not paying into the conservation that is very desperately needed.
3: Yeah. And that's, that's so sad. It makes me so sad to hear that because, you know, we, like I said, it's such a patchwork of like laws that don't make any sense. Like, okay, so we can commercial, we can commercially harvest the Matsutake out of the Pacific Northwest and the chanterelles and a, a host of other species. But someone who wants to go pick black trumpets for dinner in Illinois cannot go and pick a handful of black trumpets. It's, it's messed up.
1: It is. Yeah.
3: And and, and and, go ahead. No, you go ahead. And there's, there's other things that I've been noticing too. Like I've been saying, I feel like this is just the tip of the spear. Uh, So like one thing that the mycological society does is that they, they, uh, they do diversity surveys. So we go out and this is like, you know, the citizen science portion of mushroom hunting that is so cool. Is yeah, they'll go so. out and they, you know, they go on a foray and people get to find edible mushrooms and they'll, they'll pick, but they'll pick a lot of them and they will pick poisonous mushrooms for the purpose of identification. Sure. And the DNR, that, that, it really weirds them out. And they actually revoked the diversity survey permit for permits like all of the permits for the Mycological Society this year, oh, and man. it is really troubling. Yeah, and they, they let them back in, but they had a lot of restrictions. And, and and just the restrictions, again, going back to bears and blueberries, it's the same kind of stuff. It just don't make sense. And, you know, these, these specimens that the Mycological Society will pick. These things get sent to the Bell Museum of Natural History in Minnesota. This is what helps catalog our local species. And, you know, just by being a mushroom hunter, you become a citizen scientist. And it's like this great scavenger hunt with, like, a Powerball ticket hidden in the woods because, you know, the possibility exists. You know, we know with mushrooms being, like, reclassify constantly. We know that the possibility exists. Like, hey, you could go outside. And it is not out of the question that you could you could find something new but you you absolutely could or you could find something that is at least interesting enough that scientists or mycologists may want to study it to help further mycology like like what I've done I've contributed a number of different times by scientists or mycologists will see my pictures or something online and say hey do you happen to have a dried specimen of this like well, actually, I do because I drive them because I'm gonna eat them, and okay, would you send them to us and then I send them to him and then we talk a little bit about it I send them some images and then cool it's in an accredited publishing accredited you know scientific journal like huh? that's crazy like you, you're never gonna have a deer hunter take his uh, take his deer wrap and send that into a scientist to figure out what species of deer it is yeah. Like right. this is this is legitimate science going on that furthers our knowledge of the place where we live, and to he, just to hear that they're they're messing with the the mycological society's role in that is just it really is frustrating, and it's like no, we need to be going forward. That is a, that's like a step backward. Like mycology still feels like this neglected science, and that it just does not get the time of day by the powers of be.
2: 100% it doesn't. Um, and it's, it's easy to forget how uh, fresh and honestly very new of a science it is. Um, it was, from what I recall, it wasn't even recognized as distinct from the plant kingdom until like the 1980s. So for, uh, you know, the, the possibility for new discoveries and uh, I mean, changes in genetic uh, sequencing are happening all the time. Science, uh, citizen Science is definitely at an all time high with mycology. And yeah, it is incredibly concerning that they're disrupting that the potential the process. Uh, I mean, even here in the Chicago area in the last
0: Mike. Well, what's wrong, buddy? Well, I I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World podcast merch store. Wowie, wow. wow. It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch for all your decorating purposes.
1: How do I find that?
0: Go to wildedibleworldpod.shopify.com. Or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow!
2: Years, we were able to define that the Chicago chanterelle is a distinct chanterelle from other species so we have our like own endemic species of chanterelle here. We wouldn't know that without mycological organizations like the Illinois Mycological Association that is permitted to go out and do these forays. The amount of paperwork that they have to do is insane for a state like Illinois where it's completely illegal. And I, ha- I know mycological clubs that are not associated with the state that get the cops called on them all the time. Oh, yeah. You've Definitely. been on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, yeah, I've been present on those before. It's,
1: it's not fun. To, and, it, you know, often enough, it's just it comes from uh, an unsuspecting person on the trail that's saying, hey, there's a bunch of people out here picking mushrooms, not knowing that, hey, this is an educational thing. We're not trying to supply restaurants. We're not trying to. Uh, you know do anything nefarious. It's just literally education and to approach Regulation from the standpoint that Minnesota's starting and I think we're already a mm. victim of that's, mm-hmm. it, It's essentially book burning, right? It's trying to uh, yes, try, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's trying to you know get rid of knowledge that Most people don't have and there's mm-hmm. a select few of us that are trying to pass it along Michael and I I uh, started this podcast because, you know, we just wanted to spread a little bit of knowledge in, you know, bite-sized chunks so that people can, don't feel overwhelmed by it and that we don't lose this education. And uh, it, I think it's, it's, it's so wrong to
2: approach it from that way. Yeah, no,
3: I, I absolutely agree.
2: Um, so you think you, you talked a lot about how it's definitely like a slippery slope. What other future issues would this you, you, the current regulation, proposed regulations, would lead into?
3: Yeah, well, I think it can be like a, a gradual crackdown. Uh, I think that it can, you know, so it's like they can keep taking little things away, you know, just mm-hmm. gradually. My my fear is that they'll take it all away, and I mean, no offense. It'll be like Illinois, yeah, no, yeah, um, but I, I, yeah, I fe- I feel like it will. It's really going to move. Uh, it's going to remove like a lot of equitable mushroom hunting land for people that live in urban areas. Like the majority of mushroom hunters in the state of Minnesota, they live in the Twin Cities, and we are so lucky that we have oh, we have many uh, state parks. And it's seventy-five thousand acres within or less than an hour's drive from, like, the Twin Cities proper. And if it becomes, like, not worthwhile to go to these parks, people would have to go, like, two hours north. And it can really, like, you know, kind of kill some of the magic if if all if we have to start slipping through all these restrictions, which don't make sense and are not based on science. You know, I think it's important to remember that just because something is a law, and I gotta be careful here. I'm trying to remember which one of these statements has got me in trouble in the past. <laughs> uh happened uh, a number of times. Uh, we have to remember that laws can be changed, and laws, laws historically, there've been some really messed up laws. And just because it's a law, it doesn't it does not necessarily mean that it is in the best interest of. of the ecology of our environment, or or with the people, or with the people that live here, and a good example is a, just another example is butternut trees. So in Minnesota, butternut trees are endangered because of the butternut canker. In Wisconsin, they are not endangered, and there's butternuts all over the place. They still have butternut canker, but uh, it's it's legal to harvest butternuts uh, in Minnesota. It is completely illegal to touch the tree in any way, shape, or form. And the way that the law is worded, it is illegal for the state nursery to harvest butternuts for the purposes of propagation. What?
2: That is so uh, – that, that that's so yeah, anti-like I mean, – that doesn't seem conducive to
1: – Yeah, I need <laughs> to read that a couple <laughs> times. That's, that's I'm like
2: speechless. Yeah, I, I
3: know. I know. So oh, this tree is endangered. You would think, hey, maybe we should try planting these trees that are endangered and that grow in Minnesota. Like maybe we should try to help them. But oh no, like the state the state organization is gonna have to apply for a variance to do that. And this and people have brought that up that law up a number of times and there have been efforts to overturn it. But it's like man, in the scheme of things. People don't care about butternut trees. Right. You know, like not that many people are thinking about that. This is not like a huge priority. So the fact that it is completely nonsensical the way that the law is worded, it just these things just fall through the cracks. And I'm afraid that things like that are going to keep happening and we're just going to have this this giant guillotine team patchwork of laws that are not based on science that are different from state to state and are in conflict with each other and don't yeah. make any sense yeah like that's it sounds like that sounds like a nightmare
2: to me
1: that's terrifying
2: for sure so it's not based on in science and from what we've heard there's not really any uh, logical procession to these uh regulations and concepts that they're trying to put in place why do you think that they're doing this
3: well, um, I think that, well
2: besides the bear, what's the actual? What, what's the motive?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's a knee-jerk reaction. I think there were some things. I think they probably got a couple phone calls uh, about people complaining about mushroom hunters, and and that's a, I'm glad you asked that. Cause that's a great thing to bring up. So we have a lot of Eastern European mushroom hunters here uh, around the Twin Cities and just in Minnesota in general. And when they go out hunting, mm. and I think. Honestly, I think it's like a beautiful thing. They bring out five gallon buckets, but it's it's like their thing, and they bring out the five gallon buckets when they're harvesting anything, currants, whatever. Uh, when they go to the u pick uh, places, I usually don't like to see them because they will take all the currants. <laughs> but, but with mushrooms in the woods, you'll have the, the parents with their five gallon buckets, and then all the children, and then the grandparents Dude, This is like This is so cool because this is a family unit foraging outing. And, you know, I I don't know, most of the people that I know in the United States, it's like this is a very solitary thing. Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe I'll I'll bring bring a friend or two out with me when I'm going to pick mushrooms or berries or something, but I don't bring my entire family as a communal food gathering event. I think it's really cool. But some people complain, and some people don't know, and they see, oh, my God, these people have five-gallon buckets filled with mushrooms, and they're going into parks. Uh, they also don't know that what's in those five-gallon buckets. Because I can tell you, if you open up those five-gallon buckets and dump them out, you're going to see a lot of mushrooms that most mushroom hunters do not what to eat. For sure. It's the, sw- it's the swillers. It's all the rustlers. Mm-hmm. It's these traditionally harvested species that they enjoy that I may find disgusting. So it's like good for good for them. Hey, go out and enjoy all. You have all the slipper jacks. Stay with me, Michelle. You have <laughs> all the slipper jacks that you want. You know, But they harvest in these large amounts because they're going to cook and preserve them. Uh, and, you know, pickle them or whatever, whatever they want to do, salt them and ferment them, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so we know that they've probably gotten some phone calls about uh, people harvesting mushrooms like that. There was also an incident last year, and I don't think I can mention his name publicly, but it is pretty common knowledge. There's a guy that leads, uh, they're less mushroom forays and more like mushroom parties. Uh, state parks and a state land and a lot of times there's like this guy's and he's well known for doing these events and he definitely appeals to like and you guys know what i'm talking about when i say this (laughs) like the party aspect of mushroom community okay you know like the one person that always chimes in with like what kind of mushroom is that that you want to like smack upside the head at a Yeah, like, he attracts attracts those people. And I I worked with him once or twice for a few events, and I found that the guy was just kind of a shyster, and I felt like he did not represent the community well. And that's kind of just the beginning there. But he led a foray at a park uh, the same day that the Mycological Society led a foray at a park. And I think he had, like, 60 people with him, and they absolutely trashed an area. Uh... Yes, Okay, and this was last year. So not only do they have two groups doing uh, you know, with groups over twenty, the mycological site I don't want to say it was like thirty people or something, but you got one group that's causing a problem. And but if you if you unpack that a little bit, that's not that they, they were mushroom hunters causing a problem, but this is not a mushroom hunting problem. Right. This is a group this is a group size problem. So, so thinking of it as casting mushroom hunters as, you know, people that cause problems is not, that's not part of the issue here. It's just a group size thing. And there's plenty of other examples of people that mistreat state land when they are out enjoying their hobbies. Sure. Like the, the one example I brought up in the NPR interview is I said, and is so true, you go into northern Minnesota during bear season, and it looks like cruise cans grow in the
2: woods. You know, or
3: there's there's other there's other groups, other outdoor recreational activities that disrupt the land and can ruin things. But they get stuff built for them all the time, like mountain bike trails. And I actually I like riding a fat tire bike in the woods. I'm in the woods. I'm usually carrying my mushroom backpack when I'm doing it, but that absolutely disrupts stuff too. Uh, so it, it's more of like, it, it's not a mushroom hunting issue. It, that specifically is a group size issue. And I mean, this is kind of, you know, it's kind of beside the point. But, you know, it's it's sad that we could crack down on mushroom hunters uh, and, plant, and plant for it because it's illegal to pick any plants in, in Minnesota at all. But, you know, it's nothing for us to, like, bulldoze a lot and kill a thousand trillions to put up a dollar store. Like, it's like, there's like this, right. this general paradigm of people want to think of our wild places as they have, like, this preservationist mindset where they think that the woods need to be a museum.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, that, and that's just the wrong way to think about it. Like, the woods, they, they can be an interactive learning space. Where occasionally you know you can learn about things and hopefully find some food if you're lucky. You know, there's there's such a better way for us
2: to think about our places than that. Yeah, it's so easy for our species. I think, and in general, especially of the American attitude, uh, it's so easy for us to forget uh, where we came from and like how the human species has been so closely associated with. Uh, all the plants and animals outside for all of our history up until like the last, you know, uh, give or take a couple, several hundred years, you know? Um, So it's, yeah, it's definitely really distressing to see. And what you said about them just bulldozing like a whole uh, area of trilliums to put in a dollar general or some shit that is absolutely so uh, accurate. They want to preserve it for their uh, profit margins necessarily uh, and, and treat it like a museum.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. These same people that are making these reg- regulations are the same people that are like mystified when you grow something, a tomato in your garden, other than a big boy or celebrity or oh, something geez, along those yeah. lines. You know what An I mean? actual heirloom. Yeah, like, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad because it's just it's it's knowledge that you can eat. You know, and it's it's sad because yeah, it's, oh, it's, yeah. freaking
2: nuts. Sad, sad stuff. Um, so uh, just kind of. To uh, divert from the – is there anything else you want to say about the regulations or anything? Um, is there any other, like what, – what steps can we take to um, help you with this cause if we don't live in Minnesota?
3: Well, if you don't live in Minnesota, there's really not much you can do. But the thing is, one of the things – one of the reasons I wanted to to get on and talk with other people about this uh, around the country that aren't in Minnesota is because – we're seeing more laws come out like this. Like there's some that, uh, there's going to be some coming in Wisconsin, uh, and it's going to be in other States too. And if it starts happening in your state, if you don't have a bunch of messed up regulations already, you, you can contact me. I can tell you what I know. I can give you templates of the letter that we sent to the governor that our lobbyists and sent to the governor. Uh, I can give you a template of, uh, a letter that you can send to your state representatives and kind of walk people through how to do that, but just get the word out there and just get the word out there. I, I think is, is good to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. and And I think that's super cool that you're willing to do that. And I think to use your, uh, Eastern Europeans with their five gallon buckets. I think that whether you're in Illinois or Minnesota or Wisconsin or wherever, whatever state, let's grab our five gallon buckets Mm -hmm. and let's, you know, normalize the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Normalize (laughs) it
2: a little. I I actually recently visited the twin cities a couple months ago and, uh, for the natural abundance that y'all have in the twin cities, And uh, it was amazing. I saw more people, like you, exactly as you said, entire families out there harvesting food, um, more people harvesting and foraging than I've seen in the Chicago area in person in like probably five years total. Like all the people I've seen in this area combined, I saw more in the Twin Cities over like three or four days out foraging. So it it really is incredible. There really are people out there still doing it. And it was exactly like Eastern European folks out there. Um, people whose traditions are still like really intact and in everything. Um, so I, I thought it was incredible. It was beautiful. Yeah. And I, I think just to
1: clarify on my, my five gallon bucket thing, I don't actually mean go fill, fill up five gallon buckets with things from the woods. I mean, let's take Alan's knowledge and, you know, let's, let's coordinate, you know, it's, share what we know yeah. in a healthy way, and maybe we can help direct some of these regulations.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being, yeah, again, being the spokesperson for this, putting in your own personal energy and time to try and get this kind of message out and uh, using your platform in a really helpful way.
3: Yeah, no, and thanks for having me on. You know, I just want I I want to live in a state where our wild places aren't seen in some museum where nature is fragile and I want to live
2: in a place where laws are based on science. You know? Yeah. Thank you. you and you and us both, um, if you don't mind like a little bit of a lightning round. There's a few questions we like asking most of the foragers that we have on the show. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Just a little bit about like your personal history and stuff. So do you remember like the first memory you ever had of eating a wild food?
3: The first memory of eating any wild food would be when I was sous chef at El Vesco and it was probably a ramp.
2: Nice. Right on. That's a good first. So you were introduced to, like, a lot of uh, foraged goods while working at that restaurant?
3: Uh, that was one of the first – that was the first restaurant where I tasted some wild foods. Basically, Chef saw that I was really talented, and he passed me up for sous chef promotion, and I got really pissed. So because <laughs> I got really pissed – he gave me a little part of the menu and said this is Alan's, like, weekly changing special section. And he would bring in special ingredients. And even though it wasn't, like, a wild themed restaurant, he had a friend that picked a lot of things and thought, okay, well, Alan can have fun with this, and maybe he won't be as pissed off anymore.
2: That's really fun. <laughs> that is I mean, interesting compensation.
1: So you've almost been groomed for to go on a show like Chef vs. Wild
3: and, like, Oh, absolutely. Ass. Yeah, because <laughs> – That that was uh, because that restaurant was only the first. Then I went to another restaurant where the menu changed every single day, and we didn't use any products from within 200 miles
2: of Minnesota, and I wrote the menu. Wow. Jeez. Every day. So that was like now I saw all the
3: different things from the entire growing season, and then after that, when I ran my own restaurants, I supplied them with everything that basically I picked myself.
1: Oh, cool. My eye just started to twitch a little bit. I've mean, I, I I've a few years, uh, like 20 or so, in uh, restaurants and more of the corporate side. But like the to imagine changing a menu every day uh, with with all local ingredients, yeah, my eye definitely just started to twitch a little bit. You're a you're a saint.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it was every day. And then at my last restaurant, I did it every week. But it's still to do something like that. I mean, I might have 80 purveyors. Wow. Yeah, at and, my and last place we had yeah the list was like eighty. That it's is like
1: amazing.
3: one person, one person you only bring us
1: currants. Oh my god. You know
3: another person you only bring us berries and a certain type of melon. Like I take the best of the best of everything I can find and make this huge patchwork of only the greatest stuff that we can find in the area. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes the, the job insanely difficult. But you know extremely rewarding at the same time right next question
2: uh so next question uh what's something you forged this week this week or today if you've been out today yeah uh, linden, linden seeds and
3: wild caraway seeds wild blueberries down soga amaranth lamb's quarters uh strawberry spinach I love that about voted.
2: Fancy Okay, cool, cool. What do you think is your favorite? Um, do you have something that you look forward to every year or does it change?
3: Whatever's popping right now. Whatever's popping. Yeah, okay. Monkey Talk, the fall, for sure.
2: Okay. Uh, I, I think that's the end of our lightning round. <laughs> I can't think of any more. Um, that we uh, usually ask people. But um, yeah, so I guess we'll just kind of wrap up if you're good with it. Yeah, it's cool. All right, cool. Well, it's been an awesome pleasure to have uh, have a little chat with you. Um, Really inspired by uh, the feelings you have about these regulations. We totally agree with you here on the show about, um, you know, regulations aren't bad. They just have to be done very mindfully. And, you know, you can't just like slap on the easiest restrictions, just like, all right, moving on to the next thing. And just like, you know it's there has to be care taken because it's such an important um, mainstay in so many people's lives and uh, you know we're all learning I think as you know in the last couple years that nature needs to be more of our more of a part of our lives than ever before. Um, So thank you for your work in doing that and uh, yeah Otherwise, you're, you're also just a general inspiration for, if I may speak for both of us, yeah, yeah. the two of us here at the show, you're a really awesome uh, chef in your creativity and your dishes and the inspiration and sources that you draw from historically are, are very fascinating, and it's been a wild ride being able to follow you in the last couple of years, and uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you as well. Yeah, and
1: uh, your presence on social media, not only presence, but like uh, activity, how, how active you are on social media is just so cool, man. I don't think I've ever commented on one of your posts like, oh, this looks great, or I have to try this, and you haven't, you know, said something yeah. very reassuring. Yeah. Or, yeah.
2: Yeah. I talk a lot about how um, the people in the forging community, uh, even though, like, a lot of the folks, uh, even somebody like Alexis Nichols, who has around a million followers, we're still a bunch of, it's, y'all, uh, micro-celebrities, I- anyway, but it, when you're inside the genre, shall we say, it's still really awesome when people you really admire are so accessible, and yeah, you make yourself uh, the image of accessibility with responding to most of your comments, and uh, yeah, always uh, being very well spoken in your recipes on your website as well. So, kudos. Hey, thanks.
3: Thanks. I, I really, I really try to be. I try to be active. I try to. I try to get to every single one. I sit down. I have time every day. Uh, which is about gonna you know, be about this time, like after dinner, I sit down on the couch and I answer every comment on every platform. Yeah, okay. you know, it's it's become it's become kind of a monster because yeah. it's like, oh, this, okay, it's YouTube and then the website and then direct messages and then Instagram and then Facebook and then text messages. But you know what? It's part of the game.
2: Yes, sir. Yeah, it is. And I can only imagine I'm almost a little overwhelmed with the uh, questions, interactions I have, and I don't, I'm not nearly as active or thorough as you are. So I can only imagine what a beast it has become. So cheers to that. Uh, We'll just uh, close up. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's been awesome. And everybody follow at ForgerChef if you don't already um, on all platforms. His website, foragerchef.com, is an incredible wealth of information. Um, so thanks again, Alan.
3: Hey, thanks for having me on.
2: We'll see you later. See you at the Wild Harvest hey. Festival. Yeah. Bye.